Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Mysteria podcast. Before getting into today's episode, I just wanted to do a quick introduction to discuss a couple things. Uh, first of all, this morning, I was scrolling through my LinkedIn feed, and I came across a post that was shared by today's guest, Vicki Whitehead. And I clicked on the link, and it discussed the unveiling of a 42-foot mural uh, in the Metro Vancouver area, um, right at Burrard Skytrain Station. And the mural began, uh, the, the painting of the mural began on International Women's Day. And the mural depicts a queen with this newfound strength as a symbol of hope for women who are experiencing abuse. And it aims to raise awareness about uh, gender-based violence, um, obviously, which is always something to be discussed, but particularly now with the pandemic, um, this has sort of become a, a shadow pandemic, if you will. And the mural itself is incredibly beautiful. Um, it's just a brilliant piece of art. And it's really interesting because it also um, has, I think it was five QR codes that you can scan with your phone and it has different statistics on uh, gender-based violence. So it's just this really, uh, I, I just thought it was worth bringing up. Um, I have included a link um, on the episode description. So if you just scroll past the bio of uh, Vicki Whitehead's bio, you'll see uh, the link for the mural. And I think it's just worth checking out just because um, not only for the awareness side of it, but I mean, just the mural itself is just stunning. I mean, it's just a really great piece of art. So something to check out. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I do discuss this um, at the start of the podcast, but I figured I might as well just do a little bit more of that now. Uh, so today's podcast, we... Well, in, in setting up this podcast, I spoke to Vicki and she gave me a bunch of things to, well, I asked her, are there some things that I can research or books, articles, videos, like anything that I can do to help prepare myself for our podcast? And she was very helpful, gave me a, a substantial list of material and one of the books on there was a book called The Sacred Tree. And I read this book and it really <laughs> was a game changer, let's put it that way. <laughs> and I, I really just appreciated it so much. And it, it's just this beautiful, beautiful um, piece of work. And what we did on this podcast was we used this book as an anchor, if you will, to discuss her personal and professional experiences and mine as well. And we just had a really in-depth conversation about subject matter for me that was very new and something for her that she has a lot of experience with. So it was really a, a fun and novel thing to do. And I really enjoyed doing it. And so that was one of the books. Uh, so that was really the main book that we used to anchor that, that conversation. And we discuss it in, in pretty great detail as well. Um, I have included a link to that book as well. And we do reference a handful of other books and authors. 
And I've included the list of those books on the episode description as well. So you'll find that where the, the link for the uh, mural, the article about the mural and the books are all listed there. Um, yeah, and that's kind of about it really. So I just wanted to, to get that out of the way and thank you all for listening and we will be back next Wednesday. Thank you so much. This is the Mysteria podcast. I'm Marcus De Silva and joining me today, someone I've known for pretty much my whole life, one Miss Vicki Whitehead. Thank you for being here. <laughs> it's great to be here. It's great to see you, Marcus, too. It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially uh, masked up and being away, coming home, all that stuff. Yeah, it's been been quite some time. And uh, so I've, well, it's actually kind of funny because my dad played hockey with your husband and then my dad retired from that team and I took his spot. <laughs> so then I played on that team for a while. And yeah, I mean, I even remember babysitting uh, your son when I was a kid too. Uh, but I guess I was responsible enough for that. So I guess. It yeah. Oh, you always were responsible. <laughs> um, yeah. And then your dad and I, of course, connect because I had a kidney transplant and he works at uh, St. Paul's Hospital, which is where I went. So uh, he's been great over the years. I've um, talked to him a couple of times about, you know, concerns I had or questions I had. Yeah. Yeah, I, I try to emulate that as much as I can, yeah. you know, try and be helpful. For today's podcast, I want to do something, uh, it'll be experimental. Um, I want to run through a book, uh, which you, uh, very, I'm very thankful for, recommended um, as part of this podcast. And it was just very impactful on me. And I thought that it would be really cool to run through particular sections of the book. Um, I wish we could go through the whole book and do like a whole series on it. Cause that would be ideal. Um, but uh, yeah, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll run through certain sections and discuss it. And I think it would just be very, I, I think people listening would be very interested in that type of um, knowledge just because it's probably not something that many people have a lot of exposure to and I think it's always good to introduce new things and particularly because of how um, the, the practicality of it in everyday life is is so critical and uh, I think people will see that. Great yeah I love talking about it so that's fantastic. So for the first little bit, we'll kind of do it the, uh, we'll, we'll go with the traditional way that we've been doing things around here. Um, so yeah, just right off the bat, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and how you got here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, I'm uh, Vicki Whitehead and um, I have an introduction that I always do because uh, a lot of my work is with uh, First Nations communities. So I am Cree Métis which means uh, my mother was Cree and Métis. Um, and Métis uh, meaning that she is, her family is from the Red River Métis in uh, Manitoba. So that's something that it holds in our family. It may mean um, different things to different people, but also uh, she's Cree. So, so I grew up with that. And, um, you know, I'm a little bit older. So I grew up, um, you know, in the 70s and 80s when First Nations were just getting back their right to vote and their right to gather. 
So, um, and residential schools were still ongoing at that time. So um, there was still, we grew up in a small town on the coast here of, um, on the Sunshine Coast. And lots of great people there, you know, didn't have a lot of issues necessarily, but um, certainly grew up with a lot of uh, comments about uh, Indians and First Nations. Um, and then also dealing with um, what's known as intergenerational trauma. So I think nowadays, um, which is fantastic to hear, a lot of people will grow up knowing that they can do anything, they can be anything. Um, and, and that just wasn't necessarily my experience. It, you know, it wasn't my parents' intent, but it was, it was a full environmental thing. So there, there is some, um, even though I'm an accountant, I um, follow uh, uh, sociology, psychology, um, indigenous, um, you know, uh, healing uh, within my own culture and, and know that uh, trauma can be passed down from uh, parents to children, just even through, um, you know, just, just even through their DNA. So, so you're born with some of that kind of fear anyway, and then other experiences, you know, reinforce it. So um, luckily, you know, my, well, my older sisters went through a lot more than I did. Um, so they have kind of a different life, but um, we're still very, very, very close. But um, I, I wasn't as traumatized as they were necessarily. So I, and I always grew up wanting to be very, I wanted to have everything be safe. I didn't always feel safe. So that's how I structured my life. So I met my husband when I was 21 and he's a very, um, I mean, you know, Campbell, he's a very uh, calm guy. Um, yeah, he knows what he wants and what, how to get it. Um, and they're and introverted and controlled and um, he's just a great guy, just very solid. And as soon as I clapped eyes on him, like that was it for me and, and um, haven't really looked back, right? And, and he has been great, like through my whole life. And I became an accountant for that reason as well. At the same time though, all that happens and through your generations and through your life. And at the same time, I you know grew to know more about my indigenous background. My mom used to uh, yell at us in Cree. Um, and that's all the words that she heard. So like in, um, Indian affairs would come by her house and tell them not to speak the language in the house when she was growing up. Uh, so it became a shameful thing, but she couldn't help it. So if there, there was a fear thing, she would yell at us. Um, so it was uh, go away, which is a was, or come here, which is a stum. And, and then we learned a few, um, few other words, <laughs> which I still use to this day. But so now I'm in the process of my life of reconnecting with all of that. And along the way, yeah, I met um, Dr. Phil Lane in 2010, and he shared his book with uh, a group of us we were in an aboriginal leadership initiative when i was working at indian affairs and he came and spoke to us and we reviewed his book and it talks a lot in here about the medicine wheel which is my culture like that is cree culture to, to use the medicine wheel where i'm from in northern alberta um, so this fit very well into our into my life and then i went through a period of um, anxiety as well in 2000 and 2007 so it was before this I had read this uh, and I there's another issue that a lot of indigenous people face is that um, modern medicine is based on the average 
non-Indigenous person, in fact, like a European background. So the testing, a lot of it um, was done on Europeans. So when uh, we take that medicine, we can have different reactions and, and it's not necessarily understood as to why we have it. Nowadays, it's kind of caught up. And, you know, even my own doctor, who's just down the street here in Coquitlam, he'll be like, well, you know, let's talk about what your mother ate and, you know, why your stomach is bothering you. And maybe you need to go back to that. And, you know, so we have the, like the conversation has changed. But so when I went through that anxiety, what it taught me um, was that I was still carrying that trauma in my life and I hadn't let it go and dealt with it. And uh, yeah, so here I am. And if I could say something to my younger self, it would be that um, that um, that it is um, that I was on the right path all along, and that I didn't have to be such a perfectionist and such a control freak, because that was my way of trying to ensure I didn't endure that um, pain anymore or again. But it also helped me to be able to um, to be able to set like a very clear path and stick to it, and to be able to uh, get my CPA, to get my my uh, CGA CPA, to get uh, my MBA later, to go through a kidney transplant, um, and and to make friends that are you know where we have these type of conversations, um, you know, really deep meaning. Um, friends and and to to be vulnerable that you're able to do some of that it's going to be okay i mean you bring up a lot of really really important i don't want to say issues but you bring up yeah situations i guess i don't don't like framing things as issues it's just situations um and, and the unique thing about canada um even when you compare it down to the to, to our neighbors down south, when you look at the effects of um, colonialization, that's so much more recent in Canadian history than it is um, down in the states, where it was just happened. J- just the timeline is just a little narrower. Um, and yeah, like the fact, like when you were growing up, that residential schools were still open. That's not long ago, you know, by by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's it's. Yeah, it, it's a part of, you know, Canadian history and, and you know, you, you just want to learn from it. And it, it does seem like, I mean, and you mentioned as well um, from a, in the field of medicine, um, not only from a biological perspective, but I think one of the positives now, um, having taken medical law and looking at the psychological approaches um, that's being promoted amongst doctors as part of um, I don't want to say adequate uh, care, but um, f- you know, uh, fair care for uh, patients. They're, I think they're a lot more willing to acknowledge the emotional and, and psychological uh, need for patients to feel that in order to connect with their doctors and as well as the actual biology as well. That's something different too. Yeah, when I was going through that anxiety, what um, my doctor did, like he, you know, he was doing his best. I, I thought I had a brain tumor. I was literally losing my mind. I was, I hallucinated, like some real stuff went down when I um, had these kind of episodes. And of course I wasn't telling them the truth either, but I went into the emergency room and showed up there and I was just like convinced I had a brain tumor and they ran all these tests and they're like, no, you're fine, you know, see you later. 
And then, um, and then I went and saw my doctor and he's like, could you be depressed? Um, you know, here, here are some pills to take. And, and he gave me some, um, antipsychotic pills and some other pills. Like, but anyway, it turned into a nightmare. Um, when I started taking those pills and frankly, if they work for you, like I'm not saying take them, don't take them. But for me personally, um, I wanted to actually kill myself when I was taking them. And finally, I started looking at cognitive behavior therapy. And, you know, when you open a cognitive behavior therapy, guess what it looks like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks like this book. Yeah. It looks like this book. And this book is um, ancient medicine. Right. So, um, so that's what got me through. So that's, yeah, I was into running. I learned how to set um, parameters on things and to let things go and not look to the future. And, but yeah, it's afterward. And he, and he was like very happy for me. He wasn't saying, you know, you have to do this. You have to take this medicine. He was just like, fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, it just goes to show, um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I, I know, um, I think the nice thing is that at least in my small circle that I have, um, when you have discussions, uh, about policy, law, psychology, throwing a bit of medicine, you know, just general discussions with people, it does seem nowadays people are a lot more open to different sources of information um, because there's value to be found everywhere. It just is a matter of finding it and then applying it. And definitely there are many instances where you, you can look elsewhere to find. And, and you know, the other thing too is that it, it's, it's the themes are all the same. Like if you break it down to the fundamental core of many of these, um, many situations surrounding personal growth, the, the fun, doesn't matter where you look. If you look at traditional psychology, you look at, um, you know, ancient civilizations, extinct, some that are still around, you can find just so much knowledge that can be used um, every day, but you just, you have to find it. It's true. And you got to find the combination that works for you. So to calm my anxiety, like I was taking those pills as long as I needed them and they were there for me and they were fantastic, which is the ones that you just put under your tongue. And I can't even remember what it's called now, Ativan or something. So I did, I did take those when it was just too much and um, just to stabilize myself. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then use the combination of the cognitive behavior therapy and, oh, and I, um, I went to a woman and was uh, got hypnosis therapy as well, mm. which isn't like, you know, um, it's not like that. It, it's more like a, yeah, <laughs> I know when I heard of hypnosis, I'm like, Oh, great. Am I going to be like trying to get lint out of my belly button or something here? But, um, no, she was great and uh, registered psychologist. So make sure you see the right person. And, um, and it was just uh, actually a deep, deep state of meditation that she taught me. Yeah. Uh, one of the people that I've been well, I've, I've known about him for quite some time, but now I'm actually starting to implement his uh, methods, uh, Wim Hof, um, if you've heard of him. Mm. Um, he, no. is, uh, no. he is Dutch, I believe. Um, and he's he's got a number of, he, he climbed Mount Everest uh, in a pair of shorts and barefoot 
Um, yeah, he's a he's a wild awesome. one. Yeah, he he basically awesome. found a way to through a particular breathing technique and exposure to cold, uh, like cold water, etc. Um, he's basically found a way to kind of tap into which is based, um, it does have a scientific basis, uh, tapping into that ancient DNA that we all have, but it's inside us, but we've lost our connection to it, you know, through, and, and he reestablishes that connection through mindfulness and, and cold exposure. Love it. So uh, I mentioned to you off uh, before we started, but I, um, I will include a list of uh, recommended reading for this uh episode because it's pretty substantial <laughs> but you know it's yeah and i've got a couple books i could probably add <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but yeah, yeah. that's the thing it's yeah. it's all interconnected and and yeah there's just lots of things that lots of different rabbit holes that you can go down that ultimately take you back to the to where you started um which is very interesting but um yeah so we got a few minutes still, uh, just time-wise, but before we get going into the book, um, well, actually, you know, it, it is interesting too. I think we'll, we'll do this and then we'll hop into the book, but um, just tell us what you do for a living, just because I think that's so interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, um, when I started my career, um, I went to Vancouver Community College and I took bookkeeping. So I graduated on the Sunshine Coast and um, I was a heavy drinker in high school and did a whole bunch of drugs. That's how I kind of self-medicated and, and also dealt with my like crushingly low self-esteem, I think. Um, so, you know, my grades were not fantastic. Though I did have some excellent teachers that were like, look, you, you know, you could go very far. And my grades were high in math and um, not in science. I never got science, but definitely in math and English. So um, I went to Vancouver Community College. I took bookkeeping and that's where I met Campbell was out in the smoke hole when we, we both used to smoke cigarettes. And, um, and I just, when I started accounting, I was just like the bookkeeping. I was like, oh my God, like I love this. And my teachers there, of course, you know, they didn't carry any, there's no history of me there. So that's why I loved about going to Vancouver was like, nobody knew me. And I was living with my uncles and, um, and yeah, it was just a great time. So, so they really encouraged me to get my, my CPA, CGA. And, and I did, but um, along the way, I went to an Aboriginal employment agency. And one of the boxes you tick is, would you mind working for the federal government? And I said, no, you know, I would work for the federal government. It sounds great. So um, I got a call a few years after that from, um, at the time it was called, uh, I think it was called, it was Indian Affairs then. Um, and then it was Aboriginal Affairs and now it's Indigenous Services Canada, but it's the federal government um, that manages the Indian Act and First Nations communities across, across the country. So I ended up there and, you know, they paid for my education and, and I learned a lot there. I got a lot of training while I was there. I connected with way more Indigenous people there. And I used to, I think I was 26 years old. I was driving out to communities in Northern BC and we were discussing their funding arrangement with the federal government and discussing their audits and um, all their financials and, and you know, what's in the agreement and managing their programs. And I loved that job. I loved doing that work. 
and then I went um, and then I went into different roles within the department. But in 2012, I went to an accounting firm. I left the federal government because I think I had hit the maximum of where I was going to get to. Just because um, you know the way I'm, I am, um, I always say what's on my mind and what I'm thinking, and it's it's frankly it's a flaw because it doesn't fit well within um, a business context. I always get into trouble for it. And I don't, I think it's, I think it's something I have that I can't fix. Whereas other people think it's something I can fix. So to me, that's a, that's a barrier. Um, and so if I didn't agree with something, I bullshit or for the betterment of indigenous communities, to me, it's a waste of time, especially in the federal government. So there was no way I was going to advance past the position I was at. And so then I went to work with this accounting firm and, and was taught really how to work with communities to create trusts and to manage their trusts, which is where they have uh, settlement dollars from the, for wrongdoing from the federal government. And they want to set it up for the long-term benefit of their members. Really fits in well with most Indigenous communities uh, cultures. And then, you know, over the years, I traveled to many different communities and, and talked to them and heard them. And um, just those experiences have really helped me to, to understand that when you're meeting them for the first time, it's about listening to what their needs are, or what their culture is, because they're all so unique. So, you know, just there's 600 communities across Canada just to give people an idea if they don't really know that. And then there's the Métis um, communities and then there's the Inuit. So, you know, there's a lot, um, a lot of different cultures and languages out there. And so now um, I'm at another accounting firm and I'm doing that there and I just love it. I love my job. And, you know, one of the things that I learned was, um, was to live your purpose. And, and to not um, try to bend yourself to fit into somebody else's purpose. Like if it doesn't match, as far as an employer is concerned, then, then that's okay to not, um, to go your separate ways. Because I find if you get too caught up into that, um, trying to fit yourself in, and then, you know, you can really do yourself some harm. You, and you gotta know what, what your strengths are, but then where, what your weaknesses are as well. And it's not about, um, fixing those weaknesses is just saying, look, this is my weakness. So, um, and, and I find, uh, you know, even though I'm honest about it, people are still like shocked or they're upset with me because they want me to be something I'm not. And it's like, I told you, this is how I am. And this is how I will be. And it, and it fits fine with indigenous communities. Like they get it. I haven't had a problem with any community, frankly, where I have a problem is with the business community. So I know what I, I like and I know how to do it. And this firm I'm at right now is absolutely supportive of it and have, have just agreed, like, you know, you be you, you do what you, you like to do and we'll, uh, we'll help you do that. So I think I've found a good fit now, but if it doesn't work at some point, well, you know, we'll part ways, but we'll do it respectfully. I would think. Well, you found yeah. a way to uh, find a community from an employment perspective uh, where you would be a good fit, where it would make you, with your uniqueness, that's where, where you find that fit. Yeah, because I, I just found like the, um, before it was always about changing me. 
or they would say things like, oh, we are not ready for this or things like that. And, and that to me is just um, bullshit. Yeah, I that's would. their way of saying, <laughs> you're not like me, so therefore you're wrong. Yeah, and uh, no, nope. Yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately it does seem, um, <laughs> yeah, it does seem to be the case, you know, uh, well, it's, you know, that's a big, uh, problem that first originated on university campuses throughout North America. Well, okay. Canada and America, let's be honest, um, about this mm -hmm. whole, if you don't fit exactly, if you don't fit the exact parameters of a particular ideology, then you're, it's it's very simply us versus them and you're going to be very quickly moved from the in to the out um yeah. over arbitrary bullshit that can't seem to be quantified or understood but hey <laughs> it's absolutely true and you know when you um and so many people have lived through it but because it's a dominant culture and i'm not talking about white here i'm talking about um business culture the dominant culture is passive aggressive it's kneel and bow to the top, do what they say, whether you agree with it or not. So it's, it's such a dichotomy because it's like saying, look, I'm hiring you because you're indigenous and because you have this experience and understanding. But then when you get there, they're like, you know, quit telling us what to do. We're not going to change. You need to change and you need to do it this way because I know better than you. That's what I got. And, and that's when I was like, no, no. Nope. Nope. And I would say it to everybody. And that's, yeah. And that's when all of a sudden, yeah, people stop taking your calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the stop inviting you out to lunch and to dinners and stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, something's going on here. Yeah. But it's happened to a lot of Indigenous people. And, you know, companies now are being told they need to have Indigenous people on their boards and, um, or diversity on their boards. Right. Um, and, and, and then they're also saying, you know, they want to hire and they have these plans and they have reconciliation plans, but unless you fix that culture, and it's not just about Indigenous, you know, you yourself were, um, have mentioned that before, you know, people are ostracized because they don't fit into the dominant culture, um, what, regardless of their race, creed, religion, um, you know, um, or because of it, whatever it is, because you're from a different country or whatever, um, and, and then can't fit in. And yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, you can have all these plans you like, but until you actually change that and face it and listen to the people that are saying, this is wrong. Yeah. Nothing's going to change. Well, and it takes courage to be the only, you know, that's the other thing too. People don't think that, you know, pe people would much rather just, uh, you know, fit in and compromise their values and their beliefs just to not feel that they have that attention on them. But, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you have to make a stand for what you believe in. And yeah, sure. I mean, some battles just aren't worth fighting, but the ones that are, you must. Especially where it hits your values. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many times where I feel like I compromised them to try and fit in and then just felt horrible about it because I knew it wasn't right. Yeah. So, so I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and speaking of values, I think that's a good segue into um, what we'll start with. Um, yeah, so the, actually, I can't remember if I said the name of the book at the beginning, um, but it's called The Sacred Tree. And it's, 
Well, it has a number of um, authors or contributors to it. And the introduction is actually done by Jane Goodall, which actually was quite good. Uh, I'm going to skip that today, but it was very interesting. Yeah, like I mentioned, I mean, it, it would be awesome to go through. I mean, I would love to just pick this apart word by word, just because I think it is definitely worth it. Um, but for the people listening, I'd highly recommend getting this book. It's a very, you know, it's a pretty quick read. Um, it's very interesting. It's got fantastic illustrations as well that really aid in your understanding of the content. Um, so I think probably content wise, I mean, I think we're literally going to be touching on like less than 10%, um, which is saying a lot because that 10% is pretty jam packed. <laughs> yeah. So actually I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you to start. So the story of the sacred tree, I'll let you, I'll let you, let you get a crack at that. Tell us about that. Well, I think it's interesting actually when you read this, um, if you've actually seen the movie, is it called Avatar? Yeah. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Yes. Have you ever thought of that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So actually, if you think about the tree in the movie Avatar, that's exactly what this this is saying, but not in that, um, not in that visual sense, but, and whether is, whether there is an actual tree or whether it's a symbol of the tree, it's, um, it talks about creator. So for my family, we talk about creator for a lot of first nations, they don't. So just to be clear again, you know, this isn't a pan indigenous piece. This is a very specific um, group of indigenous people that would that would uh, follow this. Um, and 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 I didn't grow up with the sacred tree until I read this book, Medicine Wheel, absolutely, but sacred tree not. So um, it talks about um, well in the first paragraph for all the people of the earth, the Creator has planted a sacred tree under under which they may gather and there find healing power wisdom and security. And then it goes on to mention the symbolism of the tree. And then if anything, if it's symbolic, it's symbolic of the connection of indigenous people with this belief um, and the land. So from even from many indigenous communities that I've spoken to, um, there's a connection to the land, which is um, we're I, and one actually, one woman described it to me as um, we're not um, the keepers of the land. The land is is our keeper. Like the land owns us. So you are born from the earth and you return to the earth and the earth is still here. So if you think about the land that way, it changes your perspective about impacts that you could have on the land. And ownership was something that came with colonization. There wasn't ownership before um, colonization began. So that's kind of a concept. Kind of related to what you're saying, I've heard hunters when they talk about um, basically when they have an animal in their sight and, and they're able to, well, assuming that it's an animal that they're able to take um, like as far as age and some hunting stuff in there, but for, for an animal that they're ready to, to take, a lot of them describe a, like when you 
when you look at the animal, the animal and the animal looks at you, you almost know like the animal is giving itself to you. You're, you're not, it's, there's a mutual relationship because even though you're going to take that animal, you're using it to feed yourself and your community. So, you know, it's, it's give and take. You're, you're taking the animal, but then you're giving back by a source of nutrition to your community. So there's that relationship playing out in, in that sense, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I feel, I guess, my best at, my most calm is actually in, in the forest, I would say. Well, actually, as a little yeah. sidebar to that, I've heard with jet lag, um, one of the best ways to, to cure that is to walk barefoot, uh, particularly on grass. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I've done it. I don't know. It's could be a placebo effect, but it's just, yeah, it's just interesting. Like that connection to, to deal with a change in environment, immerse yourself in nature. That's kind of a, you know, that concept, right? It's hmm, something to think about. F fast forwarding to um, the medicine wheel. Um, well, actually I'll, I'll read the little paragraph here, then I'll, I'll throw it to you. So this is a, a page nine for people, if they have a copy who are listening to this, you can tag along. Um, but anyway, the medicine wheel, this is an ancient symbol used by almost all the native people of North and South America. There are many different ways that this basic concept is expressed. The four grandfathers, the four winds, the four cardinal directions, and many other relationships that can be expressed in sets of four. Just like a mirror can be used to see things not normally visible, the medicine wheel can be used to help us see or understand things we can't quite see or understand because they are ideas and not physical objects. So from your experience, um, yeah, what, what's your experience with that? Yeah, so the medicine wheel came in, I would say, later in life. It wasn't something my mom um, taught us. She, because her mother went to residential school, her mother was Korea and her father um, and Métis, and her father was Métis. Um, so some of that was lost along the way. So this was something that showed up more as a young adult. Um, but also uh, in times in my life where I had like big difficult events happen when my mom got really sick and that kind of thing, um, I would go talk to elders and they, they would uh, give, me, give me a prayer or give me something that I could go away with and in the context of the medicine wheel. So I would talk to uh, Cree elders one time I talked to a blood, um, a Pikani elder, but she was born Cree and uh, yeah. And so, uh, and with that, it would, they talk about like the periods of your life within the medicine wheel, like where you're at within your life. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a thing not to be perfect on, but it's, it's, you can go back to it and say, you know, what am I overly focused on right now? And where does it fit within the medicine wheel? And then perhaps I need to shift my, my thinking to another side of the medicine wheel um, by almost looking outside yourself and assessing yourself and then it, using or talking to an elder or a smudge or even like I would talk to my grandfather, August, and um, just to put it out there. 
Um, and it just kind of takes the load off. It really reduces the issue um, that you're facing. Another way I looked at it as well was even within my work and how I do the work I do and in which quadrant it would fit in and, um, and how to make sure I'm respecting the medicine wheel when I do that work so I don't lose sight of it. And, and it just, it was just like, when I did this the first time, I think it was um, maybe five, six years ago. And I tried, I tried to explain it to people that weren't, um, that weren't in the field and they just couldn't get it, but um, like non-Indigenous in, in the business world. But then, so I realized it was more for me that it wasn't for external use, but, um, but absolutely, uh, I go back to it a lot. And I'm gonna uh, skip, uh, like I'm gonna fast forward through the, the next section, but I just wanted to briefly touch on a couple, um, just at the end of that paragraph where um, it says that the, the medicine wheel can be used to understand or see things that we can't quite see or understand because they're, they are ideas, not physical objects. So a couple of those ideas that really stood out to me, um, the first one, vision, we gain a vision of what our potential is from our elders and from the teachings of the sacred tree. By trying to live up to that vision and by trying to live like the people we admire, we grow and develop. Our vision of what we can become is like a strong magnet pulling us toward it. And the other one, uh, the other two actually that stood out as well, identity. A person's identity consists of body awareness, how you experience your physical presence, self-concept, what you think about yourself and your potential, self-esteem, how you feel about yourself and your ability to grow and change, self-determination, your ability to use your volition to actualize your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual potentialities. And then on the next page after that is values. And values are the way human beings pattern and use their energy. If there's not a balance between our values concerning ourselves and our values concerning others, we cannot continue to develop our true potential as human beings. Indeed, if there is an imbalance, individuals and whole, and whole communities suffer and even die. So those few things just really jumped out at me. Um, particularly what I, I like about uh, from values, just that last little bit, because I think it emphasizes that um, like any, I mean, if you think historically, any kind of major turning point in history didn't start from one big thing. It started from an individual, and then it became individuals, and then it became communities and grew and grew and grew till it had this big impactful change. And that can be in a positive and a negative way. I mean, there's many instances of both, <laughs> but it's just very interesting that the emphasis, you know, when you think of um, many like cognitive behavioral therapy, for instance, it's about you changing. It starts within. Change starts within the individual. So it's just very interesting that this concept is highlighting something that, you know, in, in modern psychology is so prevalent. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the differences, and it might be just my recollection. So definitely let me know if I'm, if I'm missing something here. Um, when in the, in the sacred tree, it's talking about like, when it talks about vision, it's not like I'm going to sell this product and I'm going to make a lot of money. Like, it's not about that vision. It's about 
I'm going to be, um, feel better about myself and, uh, I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm going to help others. So it's not just about the self. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to heal myself so that I can do the best I can for others. Cognitive behavior therapy was more about, I'm going to heal myself. So I feel better. And so that's, I think what, um, what was so clear to me, you know, reading this and also, um, again, talking to elders before, you know, in my, in my life and, and getting that kind of, uh, assistance was, um, if you know, again, what your values are, then, um, and you know, when those are getting hit, then you have enough of a self-esteem to say enough, I'm done here. And I'm going to keep my values and I'm going to keep my vision of who I am. And I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this where, where that can be um, working. So one of the things that, that I do now I'm older, um, my son is older. Um, I have the time in this last year, I, you know, from having a, the transplant, I had time at home and I was only working part-time. So I volunteered on about, um, I volunteered on uh, three different boards. And so, you know, that's one of the things that the elders said as well. Like if you have a gift to give and somebody asks you um, for help, you know, you should give it if you can. Don't overdo it, but you should give it. So I do, yeah. So I'm, you know, I don't know a lot about um, being homeless or, you know, um, necessarily living on the streets, but I, I know how to be a good accountant. So that's what I'll do. And geez, I feel real good about that. And, that, you know, I think that shows up in other um, cultures as well as the key to happiness um, isn't about more things, more um, money. Uh, it, it is about how do you help others or support others? Well, um, and that's what that's talking about. The, the psychology on altruism is pretty well established at this point. And it's very interesting because, I mean, time and time again, different studies have replicated the, the same result, which is that the um, cognitive hormonal changes that occur in the brain when you do something for someone else, you actually experience more positive um, changes in the brain than the recipient does. The, so, I mean, it just goes to show that we're, our brain is hardwired to experience more joy by giving to others than to receive. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so continuing on, fast forwarding to page 21, the four great meanings of the sacred tree. The meanings of the sacred tree may be organized into four major categories. These categories may be easily viewed as movements in the cycle of human development from our birth towards our unity with the wholeness of creation. The four great meanings of the sacred tree are protection, nourishment, growth, and wholeness. So we'll start with protection and run through. We'll run through the four and we'll do a little discussion at the end of that. The sacred tree is a symbol of protection. The shade of the tree provides protection from the sun. The tree is a source of material for homes and ceremonial lodges, which provide physical and spiritual protection. The tree provides firewood, which gives protection from the cold. The bark of the sacred tree represents protection from the outside world. The sacred tree provides the material from which kayaks and canoes are made. 
The greatest protection of the sacred tree is to provide a gathering place and central pole of unity for the people. Symbolically, the sacred tree represents a gathering place for the many different tribes and peoples of the world. The sacred tree provides a place of protection in the world, a place of peace, contemplation, and centering. Like our mother's womb, which provides nourishment and protection during the earliest days of our life, the sacred tree may be thought of as, the womb, as a womb of protection, which gives birth to our values and potentialities as unique human beings. The second symbolic meaning of the sacred tree is the nourishment we need to live and grow. This nourishment is symbolically represented by the fruit of the tree. On one level, the fruit of the sacred tree represents the nourishment a mother gives to her children and all the care children should receive as they are growing up. A deeper meaning of the fruit is the nurturing human beings receive through interactions with the human, physical, and spiritual environments. These environments are often symbolically represented by the mother. Hence, interaction with the tree and eating the fruit of the tree symbolically represent our interaction with all the aspects of life that nourish and sustain our growth and development. The third symbolic meaning of the sacred tree is growth. The sacred tree sim symbolizes the importance of pursuing life experiences, which provide positive growth and development. The sacred tree grows from its central core outward and upward. This inner growth of the tree symbolizes the need all human beings have for inner life. Human beings grow in the qualities of the four directions, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, as a result of inner reflection and change. Indeed, changes in a human being often occur internally and are then manifested in the personality of the individual. These changes are often hidden from view while they are occurring just as the inner growth of the sacred tree is hidden. However, we can see the result of this inner growth in the exterior of the tree. Thus, our outer life can be understood as a reflection of the development of our inner being. By deepening and developing the qualities of the four directions within ourselves, we grow to reflect these spiritual qualities in our daily lives. This is one of the primary spiritual teachings of the medicine wheel represented symbolically in the sacred tree. The growth, uh, the growth of the tree represents cycles of time and life. The changes in the sacred tree during the changing seasons of the year represent the many changes in our life as we grow and develop in our relationship to creation, a lifelong process of becoming our own true self. This is an eternal process that reaches beyond life itself. The sacred tree is rooted in Mother Earth, but reaches upward towards a limitless universe. This symbolic growth developed through struggle and self-determination is ever rewarded by the development of many new and wonderful gifts for ourselves and our communities. Lastly, the fourth meaning of the sacred tree is wholeness. Symbolically, the wholeness of the sacred tree is the unity and centering of the qualities of the four directions in the human being. The sacred tree represents the great spirit as the center, of, center pole of creation, a center for balancing and understanding ourselves as human beings. The teachings of the sacred tree provide a foundation for organizing our values and a safe path for developing and protecting the wholeness of our being. This balance and understanding is based on the unity of the element of creation brought to life in the tree. This unity is, is achieved in ourselves by understanding and balancing the opposite yet related qualities of life and in our process of growth as human beings. 
From one point of view, the unseen roots of Mother Earth represent the invisible aspects of our being, and the part of the sacred tree above ground represents those aspects that are visible. When we understand and balance these parts of the self, the tree of our being will grow rich with abundant fruit that contains the seeds of yet further growth, development, and wholeness. I think we can stop it off at that point. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> It really is, but even just hearing it is like it's calming. Mm -hmm. Just even reading it is calming, um, and it really helps you. Or me, I don't know if you had the same feeling, but really center onto what that's important because um, it's easy to get distracted. It's very easy to get distracted, um, and yeah. And when you were reading it, I was thinking about you know, my life and where I am now and how this has kind of come in and out of my life at certain times. There was a time where I felt like I was under attack. It was, um, I think it was like 15 years ago or something like that, or maybe 20 years ago. And uh, I talked to an elder about it. And, um, and she gave me a prayer and it was a protection prayer. And, um, and I still say it, like I get up in the morning and say this, this prayer to, to the creator about, um, about this protection prayer. And what it does is it grounds me. And I'm actually, part of it is to, um, is to think about like um, my connection to like the core of the earth and then back out and over. So it's, um, that's where the protection comes. And it's not about, I guess it's just about, it's about a feeling that I have detected. So I was able to get through that. Another feeling I've had um, is when I'm going into something that I think is going to be difficult, like when I was having my transplant um, or anything like that, but mostly about the things that really hit me um, or were big events someone passing, you know, my father passing, that kind of thing, my mother passing, um, was about all of my ancestors being behind me and supporting me. So you're not, you're not alone. You're never alone because they're all there to, and they've all, yeah, for, they've all gone through things and they're all there to help you and support you. And then on the, um, on the women, um, the respect I receive in communities just as a woman, um, is un, is not anything I've experienced anywhere else because we are seen as life givers, right? Without women, there is no uh, continuance of human life. Um, so there is a lot of respect for us. And then there's certain ceremonies where we are not supposed to participate. There's certain times of the month where we're not supposed to participate mm -hmm. because we're too strong and we can actually hurt people by looking at them when they're in ceremony. So um, it's not about a shame thing, but it's about um, our power as women and our place as women. And so a lot of communities are actually uh, matriarchal. So even within my own family, we have our matriarch is my uh, aunt. So if I have um, questions or issues or any of us, we all go to my aunt. And, and seriously, there's hundreds of us. Mm -hmm. So like that kind of thinking about women is just, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's different 
I'm sure it's there in, in a lot of cultures about, you know, people respecting their mothers and that kind of thing. So, you know, there's probably a lot of similarities, but so that's my experience with that. And then of course, the, you know, with the growth in your spiritual, um, there's medicines that we use. There's uh, um, the four medicines, which um, are uh, cedar, tobacco, um, sage, and sweetgrass. So for me being from the plains, uh, we focused on the sweetgrass, but living here, so we could burn sweetgrass in ceremony. And I know a lot of people use sage now and and there's these things on Instagram where it's, you know, somebody <laughs> cleansing their house with sage and whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know, let them have it because it actually does have cleansing properties. And if, if they believe that it's, you know what I mean? Like there are medicinal properties in it, but when we use it in ceremony, um, that, that calm that I had from going into deep meditation, that's the same calm I get. And when I have an elder speaking, it washes over you and becomes part of you. Like it's, it's unbelievable, that feeling. And then on, yeah, on the wholeness, it's interesting to me that, yeah, we begin our lives with wholeness. I really like that, that paragraph. Um, but it's those experiences that kind of wear us down and, and change us. And on trauma, I have to say like, you know, I know it's been said in, uh, there was a doctor that said, I can't remember who, but he said like, um, marijuana isn't the gateway drug, trauma is. And, you know, many people say, oh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And um, I think that's bullshit. You know, what, what doesn't kill you almost kills you and you better respect that. And it becomes a part of you and it changes you forever. And so being healing and going through this healing actually is is just saying to that trauma, I see you, I'm going to acknowledge you, and I'm going to take you with me, and you're not going to take over my life, but you're a part of my life, and, you know, let's keep going together. Yeah, that's what I got from that. What about you? Yeah, actually kind of related to what you uh, just ended on is that the, the thing that kind of triggered, I can't remember where... I heard this from, uh, I, I just, yeah, I can't remember, but if someone knows, someone knows, um, that your life story is the sum of your experiences. That's a very interesting idea. Probably uh, kind of sounds like some, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Freud or Jung, uh, you know, psychodynamic uh, psychology kind of seems like it has that root. Um, or origin rather. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that's interesting. Yeah. Because like what you said, yeah. Like what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. But like, what does that really mean? You know, it's like that, you know, those little sayings and stuff, like, I don't know, the, like bumper sticker sayings, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But it is true though, because yeah, your, your experiences, which can include and does include trauma um, from that perspective. Yeah, it does become a part of you, but it doesn't have to control you. And you still ultimately have the ability to discern for yourself how you want those experiences to shape you moving forward. Now that's easier said than done, of course, but the ultimate control is still within you and the experiences are a part of you. And, and that's up to you to decide how you want to move forward. 
Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I got from that one. Yeah, and I would add a, yeah, but I, I would add a caveat to that because I think it depends. So um, like for people that are uh, sexually assaulted and things like that as children, like, I'm sorry that they're not coming back from that. Like um, they're forever changed. So there's, um, and I think everybody is like, um, I think everybody has different experiences. So there's somewhere I, I would say like, uh, you know, your actual brain chemistry changes and, you know, or if you've done heavy drugs. So, you know, there are because of, 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 of trauma when you were a child. And, um, you know, so there was like uh, all kinds of things that went on when we were growing up, um, but I didn't have that. So, and I went through hell, like for many, many, many years of, and, and I mean like personal hell for many, many years, like so many people did. The only issue was I, I didn't like drugs if I had like drugs um, and I also had horrible hangovers, like my father had like the worst hangover. So I'm like, thank you, dad, because <laughs> I would have been an alcoholic 100%. And I'm, and I'm not, you know, I know I absolutely would have been an alcoholic and my husband that I, you know, I chose this guy who was like, you know, I was in my twenties and I was still doing some drugs. And he was like, yeah, we're not going to be together if you're still doing drugs. So I was like, okay, drugs are gone. So, you know, I could have gone down a totally other path and my mother died from alcoholism and never, ever was able to get past her trauma. Never, ever, never, ever, but wanted, you know, definitely wanted more for us and, and did her damnedest. I have so much respect for her. She's so intelligent, far smarter than me. Um, yeah. So, and, and having to watch people go through it, like that's also your pain that you carry because you know, we've got these huge families that have so much trauma in them and you just want to do, like, I just want to, I just want them to get, to feel better about themselves, like not to whatever it takes, like just to feel better, just to get that relief that I finally got. I wish that for others, but some will never get it. Yeah. That's a good addition. <laughs> to my answer <laughs> needed that extra, <laughs> extra little touch at the end no that's excellent so after that section um there's just one very one sentence that um i think i skip like we skip about 15 pages but there's one sentence in particular that caught my eye that i thought was just very interesting um which is at the well yeah i'll just read it um Human beings must be active participants in the unfolding of their own potentialities. That one hit me like a hammer. I really liked that one. Um, there's a whole bunch of like the, that section where I pulled that quote from um, is, is from the section called first principles. So there's about 12 different principles that it runs through. And that, that's just one. They're all excellent. But that was just the one I, I thought in particular just really struck me. Um, yeah, because you're the one driving the vehicle, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just an interesting, and it's just interesting because as much as you have to engage in your learning, in your understanding, participating in your community, that's on you to, to fulfill that responsibility, which might sound difficult, I mean, it might sound daunting, um, but I think that's an excellent responsibility to have. I think it's, it's one that everyone's capable of, of achieving. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, getting down to business. 
Um, yeah, I just, I just really like that one. That one really stood out. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, uh, even talking to you over this past little while about, you know, what you've achieved by really putting your mind to it and looking at all the different aspects of it. So you're not just like, I'm going to, I'm going to run 10 K or I'm going to do this. And then, you know, you set a plan to do it. You looked at, you know, what is the psychology around that? Who is the best at that? And how can I learn from what they've learned and, and take, take what actually applies to me and then apply it myself. Like that to me is like, um, it's like a learned behavior by taking in the information first. And I think we're a lot alike in that way. Like I do the same thing. So as, as I talked about before, when I had anxiety, I started reading books because I was like, what is anxiety? I had no idea what it was before that. Like it just wasn't talked about in my age. So then, yeah, it was like, okay, where are all the books on anxiety? This one's crap, doesn't apply to me. I don't understand it. <clears throat> this is some woman in the States who went through it and that one helped me immensely. Got completely different backgrounds, completely different understandings. Boy, did that help me. And then cognitive behavior therapy, reading about that. And then, then you did that as far as sports and kind of achieving your most from sports and, and then putting yourself in another country to, to take your education, kind of putting yourself somewhere where you didn't belong, uh, almost like a social experiment to see how you would do, like to yourself. That's pretty amazing, I gotta say. Like hats off to you, sir. Well, you know, it's funny because what, what you just said, um, particularly about, the, about university, that wasn't something that I could um, articulate until uh, probably like a few months ago, like this is a sort of new um, revelation, which, which is kind of funny because if you listen to, you know, your instincts know before you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's that inherent, like you just know when, like when people say like, oh, that gut feeling, it's like your, your instincts, generally you, you would, you attribute it to intestine it's a gut thing gut 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 instinct but it's kind of funny how that can actually drive your course of action even though you may cognitively not fully understand what it is that you're doing which isn't necessarily a bad thing i think it just makes the revelation that much better <laughs> no that's fantastic like it's absolutely true i think um and actually once you've done that and can look back on it and say, wow, you know, I just blew myself away there. I can't believe I did that. And I can't believe I had that in my own brain or my body or whatever it was to tell me to do that. And then now that I've done it once, what else is my gut telling me? And how do I um, lean more on that, on the instinct rather than the, you know, what's coming at you from the exterior, from other people. I know I've given advice to people like, I've been a really bad mentor, I have to say, to some uh, women, not in a way of, um, and as I'm older now, I look back on like, oh, geez. Um, but it was more about what I was able to share was my own experience, and then I would project that on other people. So even, you know, my own nephew, he wanted to be a tattoo artist. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You know, it's a horrible idea. And he's extremely successful. It's absolutely what he should have done. And thank God he did it. And he didn't listen to me. Um, and then some young women, I would tell them how to be work for them, but, but in the end, they all found their way, but now, um, and thank, thankfully they did. And they listened to their own 
their own gut about, oh, yeah, okay, that's good advice. I'll take that one piece, but maybe not the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I just think that's fantastic about how, yeah, as human beings, um, we have to be active participants. This book, I, I go back to it many times and I'll read one section and it'll apply. Well, it's funny because I think it highlights, you know, knowledge is power. And it's like, yeah, only if you, um, only if you apply that knowledge, that's where the power comes from. So again, active participant, you know, you still have to go some, and sometimes you need a refresher. You go back, you listen to something, you read something, you know, those little reminders that keep you on the path because the path is wide. That's the thing. It's, it's not necessarily narrow. There's variation that you can, and detours that you may not want to take that may end up being kind of bad, but those little reminders are, are something that can keep you moving in the right direction, which is excellent. And I think the sooner people find what um, those little reminders are, like what hits them hardest to keep them moving forward, I think just the better off. I mean, just the faster that you can make progress, you know, it's just more efficient. <laughs> Spoken like a true type A. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> achieve, achieve. Next. That's right. Uh, hey, I'm no different. And I'm not going to say I'm any different. Um, you know, but the thing is, it's a like, I think what they'll, they'll remind you about is it's a journey, right? So, um, and you're never going to be perfect. Yeah, maybe what you think is right. This, when you get to the destination, you're like, oh, shit, this isn't actually for me. And I, you know, somewhere I lost my instinct or I lost my way. So it's, it's constantly changing. And it's um, like, even knowing me that um, I have to watch uh, what I eat, I need to exercise every day. Like, do I do that? No, no. <laughs> I know I need to. That's what I know. Well, it's, it's funny because yeah. it, it reminds me of, uh, I was just trying to find it. I, I can't find the quote, but it's uh, uh, Hunter S. Thompson and it is from the Rum Diary. And more or less, the quote is, um, there, ba basically, the, there are some things that I regretted knowing um, or there's some things I regretted experiencing, but I nevertheless understood the importance of knowing it is something like that. Um, the, the actual quote is better than the way I just said it, but the, the point being that, yeah, like there, you know, sometimes in the name of progress, you know, that means going back and, you know, go, doing a U-turn and going back, you know, returning to the path that you veered off of. And that's kind of, yeah, like that's kind of crappy, but nonetheless it still is worth knowing yeah and um even how i interact with um with others like um i have to set some fairly clear boundaries um even with family not my immediate family but extended family just because of um their beliefs can be um almost re-traumatizing for me so you know i have to put down hard lines whereas you know you're kind of taught be kind be kind be kind but I, I don't have the capacity to be kind all the time because it's too hard on me so I can't so I just say you know I love you I wish you the best but I'm gonna have to um, disconnect from you 
Yeah. And that's my kindness because I have to be kind to myself first, just like it says here, you know, you've got to look after yourself. Well, and actually, I think that's a, a perfect segue to the, the next section. When the medicine wheel is used as a mirror by sincere human beings, it shows that within them are hidden many wonderful gifts that have not yet been developed. For the medicine wheel can show us not only as we are now, but also as we could be if we were to develop the potential gifts the creator has deposited within us. No two people will see the exact same things when they look deeply into the mirror of the medicine wheel. Yet everyone who looks deeply will see the tree of their unique lives within its roots buried deep in the soil of universal truths. Because many tribes and peoples have used the medicine wheel to look at themselves, there are many different ways of explaining those universal truths that human beings share in common. In our presentation of the medicine wheel on the following pages, we have assigned certain qualities to each direction. So on those, um, the four quadrants of the medicine wheel, the, if you um, think about this, this is actually very similar to, I think, um, where Western, if you want to call it that, uh, medicine is now like, and I've talked to my son about this as well, um, about physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual uh, well-being. Um, and because, you know, we've had conversations about this, him and I, that, you know, about um, at least having a touch point in each, that you're spending time in each quadrant in order to feel, um, you know, some goodness about yourself. No, that's, that's a great addition. Actually, uh, related to what you just mentioned, um, the podcast with um, Dr. David Cool uh, episode 11 um, in his book on uh, discussing his time on palliative care. And, and in the podcast, we go into that, um, which is a growing um, a grow, of growing importance in the medical field um, because to provide holistic, a holistic approach to medicine, you have to now, okay, the, the levels and then the, the degree will change depending on, on where you are, but it, it is, it's becoming more important to address that. Yeah, I've certainly seen it in my own journey with my doctors. I mean, I tell them, look, you know, there were things I can't eat um, after my transplant. And so I checked with them, like, can I, you know, what about the four medicines? Is it still okay? I mean, I don't smoke tobacco, but, um, but that is one of the medicines but just to make sure there'd be no reaction with my medication. And, and they were great. They looked at it. They, um, they understood. I told them how I use it and, and yeah, they got back to me and they said, absolutely. Like we totally agree and support that. And yeah. Yep. And, uh, and to keep it up. So that was great that they, they did that and they've added like vitamins and, and that as well to, you know, as part of my overall um, treatment. And we do talk about healthy eating and physical activity. Continuing, as you consider the gifts of each of the four directions, you may feel yourself attracted more to some than to others. This may be because of the particular and unique set of gifts the creator has given especially to you to fulfill your own unique destiny. It may also be because our society emphasizes certain capacities as being somehow better or more desirable than others. For example, men in many societies are taught that they should be tough, courageous, tenacious, and if need be, hard. Humility, gentleness, courtesy, and a loving heart are considered to be feminine qualities 
and are even laughed at in some groups when these qualities are displayed by a man. Yet the medicine wheel teaches us that courage must be balanced by wisdom, toughness by gentleness of heart, or perseverance and tenacity by flexibility. A person who does not achieve these balances in her life will not be able to develop her full potential as a human being. This is one of the great lessons of the medicine wheel. I really like that page too. <laughs> well, I love this. And, and if you notice as well, so this was written in 1984 mm -hmm. and throughout, instead of saying he, they say she and her to reference men and women. And so that as well as a, you know, this is a, a teaching from the old ways. So in many languages, actually, if you look at um, different languages, there's not a distinction necessarily, or the distinction, like there's words for sister, but then it's, um, there's no, I don't think there's a word for cousin. So like everybody is my sister. So like some of that, like if you look at some of our um, languages, it's that comes across. And in my life, I've seen many men that are like this, indigenous men that have that humility and gentleness. And yeah, those are people that you want to be around, like you're drawn to them because they just have such a calming presence. Well, highlighting that. Yeah. So there's more respect. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about that? Yeah, I, I just, there's so much in that one. I know it's, it's kind of, let me, let me think, let me actually think about that for a sec. Well, I think just in general, um, one of my kind of open criticisms about the field of uh, law is that it's um, too one-dimensional and that it creates uh, students that are simply law students, but that doesn't make them uh, efficient practitioners, which is an entirely different discussion. And I just feel like that balance of and again, like not, not every, you don't have to be good at, not everybody has to be amazing at everything. That's not the point, but you have to at least attempt to balance off some of that stuff. And I mean, that's why like the one in particular, um, perseverance and tenacity by flexibility. I mean, that one in particular jumped out because yeah, you, you have to be extremely, well, depending on who you are and what you want, if, if there's something that you are, you know, there's, there's a, a goal that you're trying to obtain and it's everything about you in that moment. And that's like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Great. But what are you going to do if something doesn't fit your plan? How are you going to adapt? And that's just as critical as having that tenacity. So that balance and that dichotomy, I think is so important that I, I think a lot of people, it's just easy to get swept up and, and forget to balance. Yeah. Until you're forced to right? until like <laughs> something happens where you you're thrown off course mm -hmm. and yeah. And I think that does have to do with perfectionism. And I keep talking about that because that was something I suffered with for so many years was perfectionism. So when things went off course, I'd be like, so upset, so mad. Don't no humility, no kindness, just. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it goes, talks about the, the gifts of the East, South, West, and North. And basically, you kind of do a little uh, journey around the medicine wheel there and breaks down a little more in depth each section. 
and then it ends off in the conclusion. So that's the next stop for us. We're gonna we're gonna start off with the gifts of the east. And I'm not reading everything. I'm uh, I'm not even reading about half of it. Um, but I'm just kind of picking the parts that stand out for for the sake of this podcast. And um, yeah, so we'll crack on from there. I got four sections. I read the first four sections, and then I'll I'll stop it off before moving on to the next one. The East is the direction from which the new day comes into the world. It is the direction of renewal. It is the place of innocence, guilelessness, spontaneity, joy, and the capacity to believe in the unseen. There we will learn of warmth of spirit, purity, trust, hope, and the uncritical acceptance of others. We will learn to love as a child loves, a love that does not question others and does not know itself. Here, courage is born and truthfulness, truthfulness begins. The East is the place of all beginnings. The human being must return many times to the East in the course of a, in the course of a life's journey. Each time there will be new things to learn on a new level of understanding. Not only is the East the direction of birth and rebirth, it is also the direction of illumination. It is the direction from which light comes into the world. Hence, it is the direction of guidance and leadership. Here, the gifts of beautiful and clear speech that help others to understand is acquired. Also, the ability to see clearly through complex situations and over a long time is learned. Like the eagle, a leader of the people must often travel alone. The eagle flies high above the world. It watches the movements of all the creatures and knows the hiding place of even the tiniest of them. Now, that paragraph if Freud could have a crack at that, he would love it. <laughs> would he? How would Freud interpret that? From a psychodynamic perspective, the last little bit, the eagle flies high above the world. It watches the movements of all the creatures and knows the hiding place of even the tiniest of them. I mean, just understanding. I mean, if you look at it from a psychological perspective, you can interpret that to be the the subconscious which is that those, those okay. demons are, are like, what does it say? The, the creatures, the tiniest creatures hiding and how you have to know where they are to, you know, kind of start delving into those, um, diving into your own psychology. Yeah. So just that one really like, and it's also interesting too, because I believe I'm probably misquoting, but more or less, I believe a bald Eagle's vision, they can see a mouse, from over a mile away is something ridiculous. So just the fact that the, you know, and what I love about these stories um, and these teachings is that when you think of the biology of the animal that they're using to portray the meaning of the teaching, it fits so perfectly. So the, you know, one of the, one of the creatures that has the best eyesight and is also an apex predator, which is interesting because it's a leader as well. So that apex predator, um, yeah, it's just oof, blows your mind. Yeah. Well, and the way I look at this is um, in order to learn and to change, you have to be a, a baby again. Mm -hmm. So you have to come at it from innocence and guilelessness. So you go back to your childlike state in order to be open to be able to get that learning. And in that, then you can see what are the barriers or what are the 
creatures? What are the things that you need to remove in order to have that learning come in? So that's the way I look at this. And when I, um, how I apply this when I'm in the East is when I'm uh, meeting with, um, with uh, Indigenous community and talking to them about, you know, where are you at? What is, what is your plan? What, you know, um, tell me about you and, and learning about them then I have to listen. Like, I can't come in with my, you know, here's my template for how you're going to get this done. Or here's, you know. Putting that ego aside, because you can't learn if you're just projecting, oh, I know everything and I know how things are done. It doesn't work that way. You're not going to learn. If you put that ego aside and you're just open to the experience, then that's how you're going to learn and, and, and be better moving forward. And it also portrays to the person that you're learning from that you are open. And generally, if you're projecting honestly that you are open, um, people are more than happy to fill you in. And, and we can spot people who are disingenuine with that, like that the bullshit alarm goes off pretty, <laughs> pretty fast. <laughs> and that's when the barrier comes up. That's right. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so no I'm longer in the East. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so moving on, so still, still in this um, section for, for the gifts of the East, the, the next section is called learning to be in the here and now. It is in the East of the medicine wheel that all journeys begin. When a path is new, it totally occupies our attention. Our sights are focused on the next few steps. One of the most important gifts to be acquired in the East is the capacity to focus our attention on the events of the present moment. As young children, the East is also the direction of childhood. We knew instinctively how to do this. When as children, we watched a beautiful butterfly or examined any interesting new aspect of the world, we were completely absorbed by what we were doing. We were able to submerge our total awareness into that butterfly, that patch of ground or that toy. The animal that, may have, that many have used to symbolize this capacity is the mouse. Our little mouse sister does what she does with all of her tiny being. Many people cannot do this. They are always looking to the future or to the past or inside or outside or far away, but seldom to the activity of the present moment. It is this capacity of being fully in the present moment that enables a person to accomplish physical tasks that require the alertness of all the senses and the complete giving of ourselves to what we are doing. But like the little mouse who is caught unaware by the owl because she is so absorbed in gathering seeds that she becomes oblivious to her own danger. A person who has learned this quality in the East must also learn to listen to inner warning signs that rumble like thunder or flash like lightning within us and must have the foresightedness, a lesson of the North, to look at the overall picture in order to ensure his own happiness and well-being. Indeed, the essence of what is to be a human being is to be found in service to others. This is the greatest of all the lessons of the medicine wheel. In a lifetime, most people must journey many times to the East to relearn this one lesson. I also, like, again, talking about um, particular animals that are represented for a particular teaching. Um, I have to say, I don't generally, well, I used to have a really um, staunch fear of rodents. Um, funny enough, after we learned about the Black Plague, 
for some reason, I was like, I would jump out of my skin if I saw a rat or something. Total, total baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> Chicken. But That's um, funny. so it's kind of funny, actually. So then I read about, oh, you know, the mouse is represented in this way. And, and it's kind of like, oh, actually, that, that's pretty apt because I, I would never have thought of it that way. So it's kind of interesting to when you kind of go back in your own head and be like, oh, actually there is, it's not a disgusting thing. It's like, maybe it's gross looking, but you know, there's a good representation there. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm at one with all the animals. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, we're right by a creek. So we have a lot of rats here. Yeah. yeah. And we, one snuck into our house and yeah, we um, got rid of it kindly. We don't, we don't kill things here, but, um, but yeah, I didn't want him to live here. And or in my vehicle, which they love to do that too. Yeah, I love this little mouse. This is one that is um, dog-eared, and I don't know if you have the same picture. As I me, do, actually. but um, I love how. She, yeah, she's got a little a little blanket on. Mm -hmm. She's adorable. Yeah, I love this mouse. This one is earmarked for me to remind myself to be in the here and now, because that's where anxiety comes from. Is I think they say like depression is the past, anxiety is uh, fear of the future. Yeah. So um, yeah, so this one was one that I would go back to and, and read again and again, just to ground myself again. I, I, I didn't think of this earlier, but related to uh, this section, um, often what you'll find um, when, <laughs> when people move away, when, when children move out of the home, and uh, let's say they return home for whatever reason, um, oftentimes you'll find a regression, a regressionary period where even though they're adults, in some cases, they do tend to act like they were when they were a child or a teenager. So there is a regression. And it's kind of funny that it is symbolically represented by moving back to your childhood home. So just from a psychological perspective, that, that's an interesting little relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's great. The last paragraph of this page is going to lead me into a brief segue into another book um, very quickly, and you'll see why it's very interesting. So this is what I like to do. These, these are the mind maps coming into play here. Um, but yeah, the, the second last paragraph of the Gifts of the East section um, starts like this. Indeed, the essence of what it is to be a human being is to be found in service to others. This is the greatest of all the lessons of the medicine wheel. In a lifetime, most people must journey many times to the East to relearn this one lesson. So that little paragraph will take us to a book called uh, Tribe by Sebastian Younger, um, which is a, another excellent book. It's actually a pretty quick read as well. It's, it's not too dense. Um, it's terribly interesting. You, you definitely, as soon as you pick it up, it's very difficult to put it back down. Um, but the introduction of this book starts off with uh, Sebastian discussing a a uh, trip that he, uh, like a, a, a backpacking uh, trip that he took when he was uh, younger. Um, so we'll start it off. 
In the fall of 1986, just out of college, I set out to hitchhike across the northwestern part of the United States. And this particular trip is significant for him because he had never really traveled very far. And, you know, he was going, going on a bit of a journey, uh, literally and, and emotionally as well. Fast forwarding from there, um, he ends up in Gillette, Wyoming, which I haven't looked up, but I can only imagine is some real rinky-dink town in, in Wyoming. Um, but anyway, we pick it up there. Outside of Gillette, Wyoming, one morning in late October 1986, with my pack leaned against the guardrail and an interstate map in my back pocket. Semi semis rattled over the bridge spacers and hurtled on towards the Rockies 100 miles away. Pickup trucks pa passed with men in them who turned to stare as they went by. A few unrolled their windows and threw beer bottles at me that exploded harmlessly against the asphalt. In my pack, I had a tent and sleeping bag, a set of aluminum cook pots, and a Swedish-made camping stove that ran on gasoline and had to be pressurized with a thumb pump. That and a week's worth of food was all that I had with me outside Gillette, Wyoming that morning when I saw a man walking towards me up the on-ramp from town. From a distance, I could see that he wore a quilted old canvas union suit and carried a black lunchbox. I took my hands out of my pockets and turned to face him. He walked up and stood there studying me. His hair was wild and matted with his, and his union suit was shiny with filth and grease at the thighs. He didn't look unkindly, but I was young and alone and I watched him like a hawk. He asked me where I was headed. California, I said. He nodded. How much food do you got? He asked. I thought about this. I had plenty of food along with all the rest of my gear and he obviously didn't have much. I'd give food to anyone who said he was hungry, but I didn't want to get robbed, and that's what seemed was about to happen. Oh, I just got a little cheese, I lied. I stood there, ready, but he just shook his head. You can't get to California on just a little cheese, he said. You need more than that. The man said that he lived in a broken-down car and that every morning he walked three miles to a coal mine outside of town to see if they needed fill-in work. Some days they did, some days they didn't. And this was one of the days that they didn't. So I won't be needing this, he said, opening his black lunchbox. I saw you from town and just wanted to make sure you were okay. The lunchbox contained a bologna sandwich, an apple and a bag of potato chips. The food had probably come from a local church. I had no choice but to take it. I thanked him and put the food in my pack for later and wished him luck. Then he turned and made his way back down the on-ramp toward Gillette. I thought about that man for the rest of my trip. I thought about him for the rest of my life. He'd been generous, yes, but lots of people are generous. What made him different was the fact that he'd taken responsibility for me. He'd spotted me from town and walked a half mile out a highway to make sure I was okay. Robert Frost famously wrote that home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. The word tribe is far harder to define, but a start might be the people you feel compelled to share the last of your food with. For reasons I'll never know, the man in Gillette decided to treat me like a member of his tribe. That's from the introduction, and when you fast forward to the postscript, the story concludes. While I was researching this book, I read an illuminating work by the anthropologist Christopher Bohm called Moral Origins. 
On page 219, he cites another anthropologist, Eleanor Leacock, who had spent a lot of time with the Cree Indians of Northern Canada. Leacock relates a story about how she went on a hunting trip with a Cree named Thomas. Deep in the bush, they encountered two men, strangers, who had run out of food and were extremely hungry. Thomas gave them all his flour and lard, despite the fact that he would have to cut his own trip short as a result. Leacock probed Thomas as to why he did this, and he finally lost patience with her. Suppose now not to give them flour, lard, he explained, just dead inside. There finally was my answer for why the homeless guy outside Gillette gave me his lunch 30 years ago, just dead inside. It was the one thing that as poor as he was, he absolutely refused to be. So I read Tribe first, and then I read Sacred Tree after that. And it was very funny when I came to that little paragraph from Sacred Tree, I remembered that little story from Tribe that I thought was very applicable here. <laughs> Fantastic. I love how they're connected. And like we were talking about earlier, how you're compelled to. I feel that all the time. Like when I'm asked for something, I have a real hard time saying no, especially to um, in the Indigenous community. And then even when I'm not asked, I think about what could I be doing? What could I be doing that's different? That's giving more. Well, and the balance. Um, yeah. Because sometimes you may be um, actually... Uh, uh, Bethany Walker in, in her podcast did a really good job at describing that feeling that you just described, um, which was that, you know, you, you want to help people, you want to give back, but you also can't forget that you have to take care of yourself first, because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be in a position to help others. So in order to maximize your benefit to the community and, and to the people around you, you can't forget or you can't completely neglect, um, or just you can't neglect your own well-being. And it's very interesting, like um, for for the story with the uh, for Thomas when he's describing get, giving the the flour and lard to those two uh, strangers in the in the woods. There, um, he could afford to get rid of that. Like it, it wasn't. He wasn't going to die if he gave away that stuff. He would have to cut his trip short, but that's just, that's a very small price to pay for helping someone else. And yeah, so I just thought, you know, you, you can't forget that balance, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you can't also, um, and I've seen this so many times, it's really unfortunate where people think they're giving and they're, they're not. Um, where they're like how we talked about earlier, they're leading with their ego. Um, and you know, they're in uh, a lot of communities, there'll be, um, people that come in and are like, well, if you just did this, you know, it would solve your housing issue. Or if you just did this and without having any understanding of what's without listening first. You know, you have to gather intelligence, gather information, and that's what informs decision-making not coming in going, hey, hey, I know without hearing anything anyone has to say, I know what's up. It's like, yeah, beat I'm, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm smart. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Eat it. Beat yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah, get out of here. Um, yeah, so that section uh, concludes the Gifts of the East and then Gifts of the South is next. The South is the direction of the sun at its highest point. 
It is the place of summer, of fullness, of youth, of physical strength and vigor. It is also the time that people work to prepare for the fall and winter months. Hence, symbolically, it is a time of preparing for the future, of getting ready for days ahead. The South is also the place of the heart, of generosity, of sensitivity to the feelings of others, of loyalty, of noble passions, and of love. The love learned in the South is the love of one person for another, how we long to be with the one we love, and how easy it is for this belonging to change into a desire to possess and control that person, to have her for ourselves. We can remember that lesson by the symbol of the beautiful rosebush, fragrant, delicate, and so inviting to the senses and to the hand. And yet hidden beneath her soft green leaves are piercing thorns that would tear the flesh off anyone who would seize her beauty and try to own it for herself. The south direction of the medicine wheel is also the great place of testing for the physical body. There we must learn to discipline our bodies as one would train and discipline a wonderful horse so that it responds to our every command but never attempts to direct our journey. Many people behave as if they were controlled by their bodies. They cannot separate what their bodies want, certain food or drink, sexual satisfaction, sleep, etc., from what is true and good. To exercise this kind of discipline requires determination to fulfill our purposes and achieve our goals. The ability to choose goals and to decide to pursue them is the second stage in the development of human will. So I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I read the section about the, uh, the rose and I, I think instantly every rose has its thorn by poison started playing in my head. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's, uh, I like that. Well, it's, yeah, I'm joking of course, but it's, I really do like the, uh, the analogy on that one because um, again, you have to remember the uh, you, you can appreciate the beauty of something, uh, but taking it for yourself selfishly is is too far and in a way actually negates the beauty that you first observed of the directions where i don't necessarily um spend the most time thinking about and maybe it's the length of my relationship when we were younger we would have had some difficulties i think a lot of people do when and there's so much, whereas now we've got that and, um, and we're past it, but it's good to go and revisit it and think about it. And, and just, you know, to even to remind yourself, am I taking this person for granted or am I, you know, cause you hear that a lot. It's why people split up. They become accustomed to and forget to ask that person, what are you thinking? What's going on for you? How, you know, how are things? And you're not a possession. You're not a, you know, piece of furniture or a plate or, mm -hmm you know, you're not doing exactly what I want you to do. So therefore you're irrelevant. So yeah, no, that's a good, uh, it's good to kind of go back and think about it and, um, and to check in every once in a while. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I also like that. Um, th this one I think was the most of the, of the uh, four directions. This one was the most uh, unclear to me um, in some ways, um, just because I think finding the balance between desire and what's actually good for you, 
that's something that, I th- you know, I think everybody at some point in time kind of deals with uh, trying to find that balance. But it, yeah, just for me, I, th- I think uh, just conceptually, um, yeah, that's kind of the one that is most, um, yeah, like I, I'm gonna have to go back and like read this one and think about it and move on, come back, think about it to just try to understand it a little more fully. But it, it's very interesting. Yeah. So the, the second, kind of the concluding uh, section of, of the South, there's just two paragraphs I wanna read out of the seven or eight that are there. But yeah, just jump right in. Our feelings such as anger, fear, or love do not happen to us like a rock dropped on our heads. The popular phrase falling in love shows that many people believe that love happens to them. Yet wise teachers and elders know that feelings can be realized and controlled by an act of our will. Indeed, feelings can be refined, evaluated, and developed. Just as the body can be trained and developed through the exercise of the will, so too can our feelings be disciplined. For example, people who fly into uncontrollable anger because they have been denied something they wanted have not learned to discipline the powers of emotion. People who are so overcome with excitement or fear in an emergency that they are unable to act to help themselves or others have likewise not learned to discipline their feelings. Yeah, I think those two. The thing I liked about this, it literally sounds, if you were to put that in a psychology textbook, it would fit. If you were to put that in, I even think if you were to put that in, in one of Jocko's books, which is about military, like leadership lessons learned from military experience, I think it fits perfectly. It's, yeah. it's very interesting how, um, yeah, I, I just think it just fits, you know, discipline. And that's what I love. It's not controlling. It's not, it, it's disciplining. That, that's what I like about it because that's a very distinct uh, difference that I think people at times can have trouble uh, differentiating between. Well, and I can't do this. I'm going to be very honest. This is where... <laughs> This is what gets me every time, right? Because so, and even now, like you'd think I'm in my fifties, like, come on, why would you, you know, get so mad about something? And it's not about, um, it's not about trivial things I have to say, but definitely, you know, I've got triggers, but I've gone through counseling. I've gone through all kinds of leadership development. And this is the one I just or if I get it. So if you were, um, and I was on a call recently and there's a guy that I worked with before and we were talking about something and, um, and I'm somebody who likes, I'm also, you know, I like to get stuff done. So, and he was somewhat rambling, going off on a tangent and I just didn't care. And, and frankly, I knew we had, we were going to have this conversation, but it didn't matter because it had to go, um, for deeper discussion with the lawyers and with, um, chief and counsel. So to me, that was where the decision was being made. I was just conveying a message. I'm conveying the message next. And he wanted to have this conversation about it. And I'm not the right person to have it with. And we can talk about it till the cows come home. But these are the decision makers over here. So, so he's doing that. And I didn't say anything, but he could see because I just immediately went like this. <laughs> so even if I don't say it, I show it. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Like to me that like the fact that I didn't say it, that's the growth. That's as far as it's going to get. Cause I used to just say it. Right. 
why the fuck are we talking about yeah. this? <laughs> Who cares? It's not our decision. And again, that has to go back to like my extreme um, deference to chief and council as leaders of their community and, um, and, and the legal community, frankly, because it wasn't a financial discussion. Frankly, my dear, I just don't give a damn. I just don't <laughs> care. And it'll show on my face. Yeah. Can't play poker, can't do any of those things. Yeah. So this is for me. Yeah. This is another one. I think I got to fold that one back. Yeah. Um, let's fold that page just back. Yeah. Quickly, uh, yeah. Yeah. Back. I'll go back after you. I'll revisit that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, yeah. And, and it's interesting too, right? Because it, it is based on, um, like, you know, earlier, you know, from the passages that, that were read, you know, some uh, aspects may speak to you, you may spend more time in certain places. And, and that's what I like about it is because it is everybody's unique in their personality and their um, predisposition. And yeah, it's just kind of, but at least you have the ability to identify that. I mean, that's pretty critical, because at least, you know, you know what you're getting yourself into or not into, right? Um, but that self-awareness is pretty critical um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. <laughs> it helps. So I will know generally I'll have somebody else with me and I'll just say to them, look, you know, I'm out on when it comes to this part, you take over or yeah, or other things. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next section, Gifts of the West. The West is the direction from which darkness comes. It is the direction of the unknown, of going within, of dreams, of prayer, and of meditation. The West is the place of testing, where the will is stretched to its outer limits so that the gift of perseverance may be won. For the nearer one draws toward a goal, the more difficult the journey becomes. The capacity to stick to a challenge, even though it is very hard and even painful, is an important lesson to be learned in the West. Indeed, it is the third great lesson in the development of our will. Because thunder and lightning often come from there, the West is also the direction, symbolically, of power. In many traditions, the West is where the thunder beings live. These are the bringers of power. Power to heal, power to protect and defend, power to see and to know. Here the traveler must learn to manage power in ways that are in harmony with the great universal teachings of the sacred tree. Two teachers of the West, symbolically, are the black bear and the turtle. A person who has traveled to the West and received the gifts that await, uh, that await her there will, like the black bear, possess great strengths. But the source of that strength will come from deep within that person. Like the bear who retires to a dark private place in, in the face of winter's coldness, a person who has learned the lessons of the West balances the passionate loyalty of the South with deep spiritual insight. This insight is gained by shutting out the clamor of the world and by going alone to pray and to be tested. One of the, guide, one of the guides of this inner journey can be pictured symbolically as the turtle who not only teaches to go within, but also grants the gift of perseverance to those who learn his ways. So I can't really say enough good things about this section. This is my favorite section. <laughs> yeah, this one really, uh, yeah, this one really drew me in. Uh, maybe because I'm just, 
you know, we're from Vancouver. So like, yeah, West coast. Um, so maybe there's that too, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I'll, I'll just give it to you to start. There, there's so much here. I, I don't really know where to start. So I'll let you start. <laughs> yeah. I think about, um, any, any of my darkest, darkest times that I've had in my life and even a shame that I felt and lived with and the way that I've been able to, um, live, past it and move beyond it is to um express it like to say it so that nobody has any power over me because i used to feel like i was so scared to run into people because of things that i had done or maybe my family had done like and i just learned this horrible shame growing up so that now as an adult um it's um it's gone because there's nothing anybody can say to me or about me that can hurt me in that way because um, I'm okay with it. I've been in those dark spaces and looked within myself and said, yes, this, this is what happened and, um, and I'm okay. And, you know, I'm really lucky to, to feel that. And, and then I know too, like, I can't go back to those places because um, it just, uh, it does, it would do me more harm than good. So that, that's why like, I like books like this that are so positive and kind, like just feel great. But, but if I was to watch a movie about, um, you know, uh, lots of like kids being hurt or things like that, like I can't do it. I stay away from the media. I don't really watch a lot of news or I just watch parts of it. Even on social media, I'll distance myself from people that post a lot of negative things and, you know, really hurtful, harmful things that have happened to people or children or, women. Um, so I'll do it when I have to, but I'll be prepared for it. If I have to like, so for indigenous women, that kind of stuff. Okay. Prepare myself, you know, go look at the murdered and uh, missing indigenous women, go on the marches, do whatever, you know, do what you got to do to help advance that. But otherwise I steer clear of it. What are your thoughts on this? It's kind of funny because, um, (laughs) One of the things that I love about uh, comedians is that they address issues in a funny way. Obviously, that's their job. Um, But it's just funny, like, I think sometimes because it's comedy, um, you don't kind of fully understand the social commentary that's occurring um, because it has laughter behind it. Um, But what you just said actually reminds me of this little Dave Chappelle bit from, like, Ooh, it's like from 15 years ago. And basically the bit is like, have you ever gone to the ghetto, but you, you didn't know you were going to the ghetto. <laughs> like, and he has this really long bit on that. And he's like, you know, you have to be mentally prepared to see some shit, <laughs> but you know, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, you're making fun, you know, it's something, but it honestly reminded me of this because you're preparing to go in this case to the West. So you're, you're literally, you're, you're mentally, emotionally, sometimes physically moving yourself to a direction to experience a particular thing. But the, the preparation, that's part of the process, that's part of the experience. Um, you know, it's nice to be able to poke a little bit of fun at it, of course, and be lighthearted. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it, it can be heavy. And um, I think the, the best or the, the thing that really stood out to me and was right right at the first par- the end of the first paragraph. Um, the West is where the will is stretched to its outer limits, 
so that the gift of perseverance may be won. That is not something that you hear commonly. Um, and I think it's really uh, unfortunate because I think it's necessary. Um, the fact that you have to earn perseverance, like earn that, it's, yeah, like it's a totally, um, well, I think again, it relates back to having to be an active participant in, in your experiences. Um, because you, you have to go out there and earn it. And sometimes what you have to earn is pretty damn ugly and, and vicious. Um, but that's what life is. Life is, you know, it's not bad. It's not good. It just, it is. And things happen. And, you know, you just have to kind of, you just got to keep on moving, you know? Well, one of the things my, I have uh, my eldest sister, Gloria, um, and there's a write-up about her in the um, Métis Nation, British Columbia, uh, Gloria Harding, recently, where, uh, so she disclosed that um, she ran away from home. She's nine years older than me, so we have, um, you know, we're sisters. Uh, she ran away when she was 14 and I was five, and um, she was on the streets in Vancouver, um, addicted to heroin. Um, you know, this would have been in the 70s, 70s and 80s. And um, when she came out of all that, I think I was 17, 18. Um, so she talks about her journey, but part of it was that she would go to Narcotics Anonymous um, meetings. And, you know, you don't talk about uh, what people say there, but but I would go with her. So she would always ask me, could you come to a meeting? Could you come to a meeting? And I knew, you know, that was being really supportive, but it was horrible for me. Like it was so hard uh, living in Vancouver and going to these meetings and just hearing what was generally women. I think it was mostly women in her group, what they had gone through. And, and I think I learned a lot of courage from those uh, women there. Um, that to me was like, you know, uh, unbelievable what they had experienced in their lives and how they were moving forward in a different way, completely changed. But, um, but now into something that was more helpful and healthy for them. But they, you know, they shared all their stories and that helped me immensely to be able to then be able to express myself. Yeah, so it's crazy. I, and I used to hate it. I used to hate going to them, frankly, because I was like, oh, do I have to? But then after everyone, I'd be like, yeah, I learned something here again. <laughs> well, that's often the case though. Like when, you know, there's something that, and you know, on that specific example, maybe at the time it, it might've been hard to recognize prior to going like, oh, this is actually like, there's something beneficial here because of how heavy the material was. But, you know, hindsight gives you that ability to reflect and that's awesome that you can learn that from those experiences. But I think a lot of the time um, with certain, when, when you're faced with uh, difficult situations, that a lot of the time the, uh, What's the, the term? The term is eluding me, but basically the, before you, the, the anxiety that you have about the task is generally, generally subsides once you get going like that, that um, initial, I'm really struggling with, I can't remember the term, but <laughs> it'll come to me as soon as we finish. But yeah, the, the general idea is that it's harder than you think it is. And then once you, you get there, even though it may be difficult, you can do it. You know, there, even if it's just a little bit, just get in there, experience it. Okay, I, I took everything I could take, great. But you take that with you for next time and hopefully you improve you know, a little bit each time. 
you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be Superman right off the bat. You know, you just yeah. those little victories and those, those little things accumulate in a big change, which I think is very valuable for a lot of things. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then the back half of that, uh, of the, the, the West section, the greatest lesson to be learned from the symbolic teachers of the West is to accept ourselves as we really are, both spiritual and physical beings, and to never again cut ourselves off from the spiritual part of our nature. The West is the place of sacrifice. When we stand in the West, we learn that nothing may be taken from the universe unless something is given. For each of the great gifts of the medicine wheel, there is a price. And yet we will learn that the mystery of sacrifice is that there is no sacrifice. From the West, we can look over to the East, to the place of innocence and first beginnings. And there we can see ourselves standing naked to the universe, vulnerable and small before the stars. It is then that we receive the gift of humility. And we can look over to the South. And there we can see ourselves struggling to discipline our bodies and to refine our feelings. We see the pain of love in our eyes and the heat of conviction on our faces. And we realize that these things are good, but that they are only touch points on a very long journey. And we receive the gift of spiritual insight. And then uh, it continues on for another couple pages, but I'll, I'll stop it off there. Um, yeah, I, I, everything about that page I, I think there's so many each of those little paragraphs you can talk about an hour on which I think is amazing but uh yeah yeah I just think it's um particularly the the one that um the really interesting part of that is uh we will learn that the mystery of sacrifice is that there is no sacrifice I think that one will probably take a lifetime to fully understand and I have to be honest with you, I don't really have any thoughts to articulate, but instinctu instinctually that line speaks to me. But I just, I don't, I just don't think I uh, have the experience yet to fully comprehend that one. But that one definitely jumped out at me um, as being worth uh, keeping in the back of your mind for, uh, I think, many years to come. <laughs> Well, and I like how uh, she's standing there looking towards, I think, looking towards the east from the west. That's right. Completely naked. Yeah. And being vulnerable and looking back. And yeah. Yeah, that I, I, uh, I love this one too. Especially as soon as we started reading it, I was thinking about humility. Mm-hmm. And that you constantly have to revisit that child, those childlike qualities to be able to change and grow. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. Like and yeah, lastly, uh, Gifts of the North. And this one is, I think it's actually the shortest section of, um, yeah, I think it actually is the shortest section, but it is awfully profound. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those that definitely would require, um, well, yeah, we'll jump into it. The North is the place of winter, of white snows that remind us of the white hair of our elders. It is the dawning place of true wisdom. Here dwell the teachers of intellectual gifts symbolized by the great mountain and the sacred lake. 
Like the warrior who begins training and is nearly overwhelmed by the sheer difficulty of running long distances or going without food for many days, travelers who wish to acquire the gifts of the North will often feel at the beginning that the task is too great or that they do not possess the necessary capacity to learn. Yet, one of the great lessons of the medicine wheel is that all human beings can acquire gifts in all of the symbolic directions. However, many of the gifts do not come automatically or even easily. Often a decision is required along with tremendous daily effort over a long period of time. The Great Mountain is one of the symbolic teachers of the North. The higher we climb its slopes, the steeper and more difficult the way becomes. And yet the higher we go, the more we can see and the stronger we can become. Ending it at the, talking about the mountain. I mean, that's, uh, it's just a perfect analogy for, um, well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's even symbolic of like the hero's journey, you know, uh, especially near the end where, you know, the, the closer you get, the more difficult it becomes. And, and, you know, the higher you go, you know, the, the, the more you can see and the stronger you got, you know, that whole, and I think, I think most people instinctively know that. And I think in, in most stories, you know, whether it's movies or TV, like literally the, the, the narrative is that it is played out in so many different ways. Um, yeah, that one is, uh, that one stood out to me. For the, the North to me, um, is grandfather North. Mm. So that's where I would look to talk to my grandfather. And then when, um, and when doing that, I don't, I don't tend to ask, I tend to give thanks. Because if it wasn't for our grandparents, you know, we wouldn't be where we are. And there's this saying too that my, I remember my cousin saying this to me once, we don't make the mistakes our parents made, we make the mistakes our grandparents made. Especially now in societies where you don't all live in the same town, generally you don't grow up together, you don't live in the same uh, house necessarily. So maybe you have your grandparents when you're young and then unfortunately they pass, right? So when you're older and you're thinking about things and I, especially now being older, um, I look at, uh, gee, I wish I could ask my mom this or I wish I could ask my dad this. And I never met my grandparents on my mom's, they were passed. They're, um, they had, I think, 10 to 13 children. And yeah, and my mom was one of the older ones. So I have cousins that are in their 70s, like they're 20 years older, and then cousins that are, you know, 10 years younger. So I've got this huge range of family members, aunts that are the same age as my cousins. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting um, having like that group because we can all have the, these conversations about what they remember and, you know, how they could apply it to now and what our grandparents would have said or would have done. Or even that I lost, um, uh, there was twins that were born and died in the pandemic in the early 1900s. That would have been my aunt's aunt and uncle or aunts, I can't remember. Um, but I didn't even really know that until this pandemic hit. Well, but um, yeah. No, continue. Yeah. No, I just think, um, so for me, that's about looking, it's looking up, but looking back 
to gain, like if there's a way that, you know, not in the real sense, but show me, show me so I don't make that mistake. That's the prayer to grandfather. In um, uh, the book, uh, The Lakota Way by Joseph M. Marshall III, I believe, um, that, that'll be included in the episode description as well for recommended reading. Um, I believe it was in the introduction or something like that. It was the preface or something like that. But he uh, mentions that, so he's the son of uh, a very prominent Lakota chief. And I'm not sure if his father was alive. I, I believe his father was still alive when this book was written, the, you know, the year. When you read books that quickly, it's like you get the, the wow. years and stuff get a little blurry. But um, he, he said that he's never met an elder who, who didn't, um, fully embody a particular virtue. Did I say that correctly? He has yet to meet an elder. There we go. He has yet to meet an elder who didn't fully embody at least one virtue. Um, you know, humility, courage, you know, the list goes on and on and on, um, which are named in his book that he expands on. But yeah, I mean, it goes to show the importance of, uh, experience, and the lessons that as people, I mean, particularly for, for me, who's just getting started in life, um, well, even all honesty, I mean, I don't know, if you're in your 40s, I think you're still pretty damn young. You know what I mean? Like, as far as life goes, like it's, you still got a hell of a lot more way to go, but definitely being uh, 24, um, I'm definitely drawn a lot more to um, the North which is talking to people who have experience, um, whether it's just through the fact that they've just been alive longer or even people who are my age or younger, but their experiences are different. Uh, uh, they've experienced things in, in different ways that I just haven't. So kind of finding a way to connect and to um, get some of that knowledge so that you can kind of fully, more fully understand uh, maybe just certain challenges that you're dealing with or, or just out of curiosity. But I think that's very critical to kind of like what we mentioned earlier, though, being open to people's opinions and, and people you trust that, you know, that's not just everybody, but people who are worth listening to, um, which it's in itself is a skill. Um, I think one that I'm trying to get better at. <laughs> one of the things I've been doing uh, recently is when I'm reading news online because of the algorithms. Yeah. If I read certain uh, articles, I'll get more of those articles. And I know like critical thinking means reading um, different perspectives on the same issue and then determining um, for yourself rather than reinforcing your opinion, um, you know, what shining a light in the shadows so that you can get a fuller perspective. So I'll, I'll read from um, other uh, either newspapers or you know click on other articles and then over time I'll get more of those and then I'll have to go back to the other. So it's, it's really interesting, especially around political leanings, just to um, gain an, a full understanding of, um, of the issues before kind of making an opinion. Because I find like a lot of people don't necessarily do that and so they'll kind of state these blanket statements without thinking and th that I think is the north 
that's, I think, the wisdom of the North. Well, those echo chambers, you know, I mean, you don't have to look far to see. I mean, yeah, again, that's a, actually um, the, um, the Madness of Crowds by, uh, see episode description for the author, but it goes into that in a lot more detail, which is the, the dangers of, well, because critical thinking is a muscle. And if you're constantly exposed to things that you think you already know, uh, it's not going to be very beneficial in the long run. It might make you feel good in the moment, might make you feel safe and comfortable, but nobody ever got anywhere by feeling safe and comfortable, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, that's not where change happens. And that's, yeah, yeah I, I say that a lot, frankly, mm -hmm. yeah. Detachment. Access to the knowledge and wisdom required to judge whether or not the time of completion is indeed at hand is gained through the door of detachment. The gift of detachment bestows upon the traveler the ability to see the past, the present and the future as one. Detachment means freedom from hate, jealousy, desire, anger, and fear. It means a complete letting go of all things, even that which we love the best. It means being able to put behind us all the knowledge we have acquired on our journeys, for even knowledge itself can be a burden too heavy to carry to the summit of the great mountain and to the shores of the sacred lake. To let go of something like knowledge or love or hate is not to throw it away. It is to step outside its shadows so that things may be seen in a different light. Fear, anger, jealousy, and hate can completely obscure a person's intelligence. Wise teachers say to avoid these as you would a poisonous snake. Love too can prevent a person from seeing clearly if it is not balanced by reason. In order to acquire this art of standing apart from our strong feelings and thoughts, we must learn to look at ourselves from the center of the medicine wheel. From that center, we will be able to see how we fit together with everything else. We will experience ourselves to be a small but infinitely sacred part of a very large process. When we dwell in that balanced center point, we cannot be controlled by our strong feelings or thoughts. From this sacred center, whatever action we take will be taken because we decided to act and because it was good to do so. When we can look at ourselves in this way, we will have learned the first lesson in detachment, that we are not our bodies, we are not our thoughts, we are not our feelings or our insights. We are something else far deeper and wider. We are the being that has thoughts, has insights. We are the beings that feels and knows. We can watch our feelings, our thoughts, our insights, and know them to be reflections in the mirror of the sacred lake. The beginning of detachment is learned in the fires of love. The end of detachment is learned in quiet moments on the silent shores of the sacred lake and cannot be told. I got nothing to add. I think it's per I think it's good the way it is. I think it's perfect. Yeah. So uh, in, in conclusion, the final gift. It is possible for the traveler to be so enamored with the gifts of any one of the directions that she may forget the journey and attempt to dwell forever with the teachers that have so captured her heart. True. Should a person abandon the journey because she feels she has found all that she needs in the gifts of one of the directions, great, great harm can come to her. For she will have shut herself off from a large portion of her own true self as well as created an imbalance 
that could seriously harm her. The final lesson of the North is the lesson of balance, for wisdom teaches how all things fit together. And balance, when applied to the interconnectedness of all human beings, becomes justice. Justice is the greatest gift of the North. With its aid, the traveler can see all things as they really are. Without it, there can be no peace or security in the affairs of the world. When we stand in the North, we can look over to the South and see ourselves singing the tender songs of love. And we realize that to know and understand is not only a thing of the head, but also of the heart. We can look to the East and see the beautiful joy of our little mouse sister as she gazes at the Western horizon to the place of things unknown and her marvelous ability to believe even though she cannot see. Then we realize that there is much more to there, then we realize that there is much more to be known than all the knowledge that all the wisest elders have ever known, and we are humbled. The mystery of all endings is found in the birth of new beginnings. There is no ending to the journey of the four directions. The human capacity to develop is infinite. The medicine wheel turns forever. And that ends the book on that one. That's a 71 page book we talked about like uh, less than maybe 5% of it. That might even be generous still. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the conclusion, what I like about that is again, it, it highlights that, you know, quite literally, well, you know, the thing that I, I find so unique about um, what this book teaches is that from a, uh, you know, from a Western perspective of learning, um, maybe that's law too. I mean, I don't know, but certainly um, the visual element and the um, imaginative elements of conveying those lessons, I think really is impactful because I think it speaks, I think almost in a way it kind of bypasses the brain and kind of speaks to your instinct. Um, because I think when you when you think about things too much, you kind of get that clinical approach and, and you just overthink it. Sometimes you have to just feel it and let it grow internally outward instead of externally inward. And I think the stories just do a really excellent job at, you know, just the fact the medicine wheel turns forever, right? Just just that alone, you can conceptualize that and that it's fluid, it's, it's movement, it's moving, it, it itself is alive in a way, like you can really, you know, get, get down um, and describe it in many different ways that I, I think really impact the reader. At least it did me, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it certainly did me as well. And, um, and still does, like I said, I, I go back to it all the time. And those elders that put this together with um, Dr. Phil Lane, like, um, I just want to thank them like, um, for everything that they've done and, and to be able to put this out for people, for anybody to pick up and, and to learn from. And I, like, I, you know, I constantly go back. It's like, it's right beside, um, where I sit upstairs, like, um, you know, it's right beside the couch and it's always there. And I pick it up along with my Cree language book, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and, um, and just, yeah, I'll just read a passage and think about it. And, and when I think about this, I'm seeing the animals in the land. Maybe not how it is now, but how it was. And that, um, 
it, yeah, it's a heart thing and an instinct thing. But there's so many times where I've picked it up and went, yes, that's actually exactly how I feel. Or, or I've picked it up and went, oh my God, I, I never even looked at it that way. And I'm spending all this time focusing on this. Like I had a really, and maybe still do, I have a hard time letting go of, you know, wrongs, past wrongs where somebody's, you know, done me wrong. Um, and, and just when you read this, you realize it's nothing to do with them. And that's your ego talking and that people can be out there saying whatever they want about you, frankly, and it doesn't have to impact you. And if you are able to let it go, the burden is lifted, but, you know, don't lose the, the lesson of, um, you know, I'm not going to let that happen again. You know, I lost my way somewhere. So that's how I think about it. I lost my way somewhere um, where that allowed that to come into my life. And it, it, you feel like you have more, I don't, I hate to say control, but you have more, um, you have more input into your life than you think you do. More a lot of bad things happen to people. I just want to say like a lot of bad things happen to people where they don't deserve it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't ask for it and it shouldn't have happened. And I wish it didn't. Um, yeah, it's not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where I think I put it out there in a way where people felt that it was okay to treat me like that. Yeah. As an adult. Yeah. In uh, the Lakota way, uh, I think it's right again, it's either right at the beginning of the chapter, it's in the introduction as well. He kind of describes that as let the wind blow through you. And yeah. it's a very, um, cause you're not being, um, it's not about being passive and it's not about being a bystander or a doormat or whatever, you know, kind of vernacular you want to use on that. But, but it's about having the ability to just, okay, you know, it is. And, and how are we going to move forward? Because the more time you spend in the past, it's not going to allow you to make things better now and, and moving forward, which is pretty critical to learning and, and development and growth. And yeah, I mean, yeah, just overall, I mean, the book was, and the cool thing with the, with the list of, of reading, um, some of them on face value might look completely different. Obviously, you can, it's not hard to see the, the similarities between The Sacred Tree and The Lakota Way, and there's a handful of other books um, that you can very directly see it. But I'm going to include a handful of other ones that um, when you examine the, the, the fundamental themes, of the, the, from, from the lessons in the books, um, I think you'll really start to draw your own connections and your own understanding. And the nice thing is that I think it all aids in its own way, you know, depending on how you want to throw everything into the pot, um, the little different formula here and there will actually, I think, hopefully give you a different perspective rather than just seeing the same thing over and over again. Um, at least that's what it did for me. And I don't know. I mean, I think anybody can kind of do it if you put your mind to it, but uh, you know, you try. Yeah. Well, no, I think you're absolutely right that um, once you open yourself up to this, whether it's this book or another book, then, then, then the next book will be like, yes. Okay. Yeah. And I can see how that connects, which you've done here very well between all those books, which is really interesting to me. So um, I look forward to that reading. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if you have read anything about, even Eastern um, medicine, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of similarities, Buddhism and uh, yeah, 
in other countries and other religions or cultures. Very similar uh, connection to the land, um, which kind of overrides everything. And and, um, and yeah, and I think there's a lot to be learned there, you know, especially where we are right now with what's happening in the world and globalization and, you know, um, climate, things like that. And we all have a role to play. And, and this, if you're grounded in something, even if, it, even if it's um, a religion, um, you know, I'm not a religious person, I'm a spiritual person, but uh, even if it's a religion, then you can move on from that and, and respect other religions or other cultures and learn from them. It serves you very little to uh, close your your uh, mind and and heart off, uh, just because it's different than you. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna run out of material pretty quick. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's difficult. It can be difficult, and and it may be counterintuitive, and you may not necessarily um, see the value in it immediately. But that doesn't mean that you don't try. You know, give it a go. See if just be open. Be open to different ways of thinking, different perspectives. Um, Cause you know, in all honesty, I think you're going to find there's a lot more common ground than there is difference. And, you know, I don't know. Some people might say it's a little hippy dippy to say that, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's true. I mean, it, it definitely seems to be that way. And um, I think that's, that's not, let's put it this way. It's not a bad thing to pursue, you know? Well, yeah, and there is a real connection, frankly, um, between spirituality and mental health. And even if it is like um, what people would call um, maybe one of those tangent um, religions, uh, fine, you know, if you're, ha- if, if you're happy and not doing harm, frankly, it's not for me to judge. Good for you. I'm happy for you. But, uh, but for me, yeah, it's more about spirituality. And respecting other people's spirituality, but maybe you know I, I don't agree with them necessarily, but I don't have to. And yeah, absolutely, we, we're in West Coast here. <laughs> it's just all hang out, think. man. Yeah, <laughs> can we just all love each other? Yeah. So I think that's a good place to stop. I know this one, uh, this podcast is definitely a bit of a long one and um, quite different from the run-of-the-mill uh podcast that i've done in the past um but that's what i like about doing this and not having a boss or a network or station is you know you just get to talk to people and and actually you didn't even know that we were going to do this until i talked to you right <laughs> before the recording um but yeah just one of those things that just kind of developed uh between speaking with you on the phone and and then uh, today which i guess about a two and a half week span or whatever. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things, if you can further your education and growth, then why not do that? Uh, To me, that seems kind of ridiculous. You should always be trying to grow and experience different things. And, and hopefully I did a decent job at at getting that done today. So. Oh, it's absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Um, You brought me back to one of my favorite books again. So uh, yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for being here. And and thank you for uh, taking the time out of a Saturday to uh, (laughs) hang out with us. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back next week.